Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're kind of here this morning and rather crammed in here uh, to celebrate the reality of resurrection and recall how those stunning events of that first Easter Sunday morning changed and continues to change everything. But in addition, as Nigel says, we're also here to witness four baptisms. And what a, what a great day to be baptized. And later on, Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim are going to visualize death and resurrection in, in what is a highly symbolic and, and quite dramatic way in front of what over 250 of us, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a few moments, but let me take you back to that first Easter Sunday morning, and if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 24, there should be red pew Bibles in the pews, I'm not entirely sure what page it's on, uh, but if somebody finds it in one of the red pew Bibles and wants to shout out the page number, that'd be great. Somebody got it? Sorry, John? 1061. Brilliant. Thank you very much. There's already uh, been a sense of excitement and celebration in our praying and singing. And, uh, oh, why did that go on to that? And no doubt that will continue and so it should. But here in Luke's version of initial events, there were clearly and there were understandably a whole range of quite different emotions and reactions. There were at least four that I want to just share with you. Four reactions and emotions that were kind of filtering through people on that first Easter Sunday morning, and they were confusion, fear, disbelief, and wonder, a kind of wide-eyed wonder. And for many people in our community and society and world today, and maybe even here this morning, it's, it's some or all of these first reactions that, that captures or expresses how they really feel in response to all this talk of resurrection. And this idea of a dead man walking, or of life after death, confusion, fear, disbelief, wonder. Please stand with me for the public reading of God's Word. I've put the words on the screen so that you can follow it if you want to. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home amazed at what had happened. Please take a seat. Resurrection confounds nature. I mean, Jesus was, was dead. He had been violently killed, 
He'd been led to rest. And therefore, whenever these women arrive to pay their respects, it's no wonder they were perplexed to discover that the stone has been rolled away and there's a lack of body. For many people, that's kind of where it's at. They're confused by this talk of an empty tomb. It makes no sense. Defies logic. And so if you're here this morning and and you are perplexed by the resurrection, then you're not alone. In fact, in many ways, join the crowd. But the next emotion that is stirred up by resurrection is, is fear. Because as these women struggle to come to terms with what they've just discovered, they find themselves in the presence of the extraordinary and the supernatural because these two men in dazzling apparel, these two men, in some other versions it says, with clothes that gleamed like lightning, they just appear out of nowhere and speak to them. And so these women are scared stiff. And again, that's how many people react to resurrection. And at one level, so they should. In fact, we all should. Because whenever you're confronted with the extraordinary, whenever you're confronted by the supernatural and by realities that are simply out of this world, we should be gripped by a holy fear. Not just a, this is a little scary type feeling, but a profound reverence that recognizes, do you know something? Maybe, just maybe, we're in the presence of the divine. As one person has said, and I read this during the week, to draw near to the resurrection is to get close to the raw, high-voltage energy of God. It is something like staring into the mouth of a volcano or like being at the mercy of a powerful earthquake. These women are terrified because this is a truly awesome moment. And as each of us confronts Easter Sunday again, I hope and pray that we can or or will identify or we can relate to that experience, whether you're a believer, whether you're a skeptic, or whether you are an inquirer. And then comes the announcement. Seven words that redefine everything and confirm that, you know something, nothing is ever going to be the same again. He is not here. He has risen, which as it turns out is exactly as Jesus said it would be. If you look at verse 8, the women remembered, yeah, Jesus had said this. And so with their heads spinning and armed with seven words, they make their way back from this empty tomb to the 11 disciples and to this unidentified group of others. And they share this life-altering message. But what's the response? How do the others react? Total disbelief. In fact, it's more than that. Look at verse 11 again. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale. And they did not believe them. And isn't that exactly how many people today still react? This is how many people still feel about our seven words about our resurrection message. It all just seems like pure make-believe. 
It's nonsense. It's stranger than fiction. And if that's what you think, if that's what you're at in light of all this resurrection talk today, then again, do you know something? You're not alone. That perspective, those feelings have been around and been expressed ever since the announcement was first made, and therefore disbelief is perfectly understandable. But there seems to be an alternative. Because these women did believe, because having recalled the words of Jesus, having been confronted with the unexpected, which was an empty tomb, and having received a divine message, they accept it. They embrace it and they tell others. And although lots of people here think they're mad, they've lost the plot, there's something about their message, there's something about their story that creates an interest. And the genuine desire, hang on a wee minute, maybe, just maybe. There's someone here in, in Luke 24 that's willing to consider the maybe. And so takes a risk and goes to see for himself the claim that the tomb is empty and that the one who was crucified on Friday and has now risen. Yes, it sounds totally ridiculous, but one person wonders, maybe, just maybe it's true. And so Peter rose and he ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home amazed at what happened. And it's that fourth reaction and response that, that many of us feel here today. I'm not saying all of us feel that. But many of us do. We share Peter's amazement at what happened on that first Easter Sunday. And so we've come here and we've gathered here to celebrate that reality. He has risen. And we're here to acknowledge the difference and the transformation that the living Jesus has made and is making to our lives today. And in a sense, that's where Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim come in. You see, some people want scientific proof that Jesus rose from the grave. They want more than a story, more than seven words, more than a message of resurrection. Many people want tangible, concrete proof and evidence. And although like these women on that first Easter Sunday morning, I can't give you it, and therefore to many people this all still sounds like an idle tale, what I can offer you is proof that the risen Christ has changed and is changing the lives of many people within this community, including Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim. You know, at a very simple level, why else would they be willing to stand up in front of you this morning and verbally declare their commitment to Jesus and then be baptized unless something extraordinary and supernatural and amazing has happened and is happening to them? Why else would anybody do this? For Mark, Catherine, Ben, and Tim, Jesus is alive. 
And he's active in their lives by his Holy Spirit. And they want to confess and communicate that to us this morning. And so for them to borrow a quote from Diane Butler Bass, the evidence for the resurrection is all around us, not in some ancient text, Jesus' bones or a DNA sample. Rather, the historical evidence for the resurrection is Jesus living in us. It is the transformative power of the Holy Spirit bringing back to life that which was dead. We are the evidence. And so this morning, if you want to know what it is that moves the resurrection of Jesus from idle tale to life itself, then just look around you and be amazed. As Ralph Milton puts it, it's not the absence of Jesus' body from the empty tomb that convinces me, but it's his presence in my other ways empty life. And so we passionately believe that the resurrection is not an idle tale because it continues to inspire and motivate many here, including these four and many around our world who are inspired and motivated by the reality of a risen Jesus to seek God's kingdom. To stand up and speak out. Search for justice. To declare the good news. And so skeptics may come and critics may go, but the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ lives on in those who believe that he is not here. He has risen. And so today of all days, we invite you to seek the living Christ. Look for him. Go looking for Jesus, but not among the dead, but in the community and company of those who serve our risen Savior. Among those who are truly alive, those who are vital and are living courageous, creative, and productive lives in his name. This is no idle tale. And so as you listen to Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim, and you will hear from them, and as you watch them get baptized, it's our hope and prayer that you will detect and catch a glimpse of the reality of the risen Christ in their lives. But the question is, why? Why are they getting baptized like this? Why? Four really quick reasons. One, It's an expression of obedience. Do you know the last thing Jesus said before he returned to be with his father was, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything (coughs) I've commanded. Mark, Catherine, Ben, and Tim are disciples of Jesus Christ, and you'll hear a little about that fact from each of them. But as disciples, they are now doing... And we are now doing what Jesus instructed and taught us to do. Go make disciples and then baptize them. Secondly, they are simply reflecting the example of Jesus. You know, Jesus chose to be baptized in a similar way to this by his cousin John. And therefore, for us, this is part of what it means to walk as Christ walked. The New Testament says those who claim to live in God must walk as Christ walked. This is part of that. And so they're just reflecting his example this morning. Third reason they're doing that, 
doing this natural follow-up to repentance. You know, as people were confronted with the life-changing message and story of Jesus, his death and his resurrection in the New Testament, they were then invited to repent and be baptized. You know, it's not a popular idea. It's not a popular word in our culture and context. But, but this is what people were invited to do, repent and then be baptized. Mark, Catherine, Ben, and Tim have recognized the reality of what the Bible calls sin in their lives. This inbuilt, inborn, selfish tendency to do what they want that eats away at our lives and erodes life as it was meant to be, that causes and is the root cause of all kinds of negative attitudes, words and actions, anger and jealousy and greed and injustice and lies and bigotry. That list is endless. But sin doesn't just cause man's inhumanity to man. It doesn't just create tension and division between individuals and groups of people, although it does that. But it also disconnects us from God and from this relationship with God that we were all, every single one of us were created to enjoy. And so sin creates this barrier between us and a holy God, a barrier that not one of us can scale or break down by ourselves, no matter what we do or how good any of us think we are. But it's into this problem that the good news of Jesus becomes a reality because rather than leave us disconnected and separated, God has enabled reconnection. God's dealt with this barrier via Jesus. And the message of the cross that we have been celebrating this weekend is that God reconciles, God reunites us to himself through Christ. A way back into relationship with God is now possible. And so if, again, just what God's word teaches, if we confess our sin, if we admit we've messed up, and if we turn away from self, turn towards Jesus, in other words, we repent, we change direction, then God in his love, grace, and mercy forgives and restores us into that right relationship that we were created to enjoy. Mark, Catherine, Ben, and Tim have reached that place. They've confessed their sin. Doesn't mean they never get it wrong. Christians still sin. But you know something that no longer controls any of their lives? Its power over them has been broken. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, they have God's internal and supernatural help to live this transformed life and follow Jesus. And I realize even now me saying that for some of you, that's just mystery. Don't understand it. You're perplexed by that, confused by that. Don't believe it. And that may be true. But that is the good news that we celebrate and we share. And so having come to a place of repentance, they're just now following up, that up with the natural next step. Repent, be baptized. And finally, fourthly, the reason they're doing this is because, and Nigel's already touched on this, it is a richly symbolic act. You know, baptism speaks volumes. It pictures something, and it connects these people who are being baptized with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so as Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim are immersed in water, and the actual word baptize in the New Testament does mean to immerse, but as they're immersed in water, as they're put under, they're symbolically visualizing that they've died with Christ, 
that they're pre-Christian, self-centered, sin-dominated, sin-determined lives. Do you know they're over now? And the water that they are being submerged into is also symbolic because it represents this cleansing, this idea of washing of their sin and its contaminating impact on their lives. And so what this water does, it portrays forgiveness, portrays cleansing, it portrays the refreshing effect that Jesus has had on their hearts and minds. And so as we lure Mark, or as Gordon does anyway, as Gordon lures Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim into this water, they are identifying in that moment with the death of Jesus. But they don't stay under. Because just as Jesus rose up out of the grave, each of them will rise up out of the water, symbolizing and declaring, do you know something? New life's begun. The old has gone. The new has arrived. And so they're coming up out of the water screams of a dramatic and glorious resurrection into a Christ-oriented, Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-honoring way of life. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, I hope and pray that you will share in the joy of Mark and Catherine and Ben and Tim as they are baptized, and that you will sense something of the reality of the risen Christ in their lives, rather than simply dismiss this all as an idle tale. And so the question is, how do you feel this morning in response to all this talk of resurrection and new life? Slightly confused? A little afraid? Still in total disbelief? Or completely amazed.